Gracious God, may your almighty word have its way in every heart we pray this day through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So, a uh, question. Are you a judgmental person? Do you make it a habit to evaluate others? Do you render judgments about other people? Well, let's find out. When you go up to someone and say something like this, um, I really admired what you said at that meeting last evening. That took courage. What are you doing? You're making a judgment. Or when you're listening to someone and they're telling you about their problems or their issues and, and what they plan on doing, and if, if you say something like, well, I, I really don't think that's a good idea, or maybe you just think it, you don't say it, but you just think it, what are you doing? Making a judgment. Those of us who are parents, we make judgments about our kids all the time. In fact, all of us make judgments about the children of other people quite a, quite a bit. The great psychologist Carl Rogers said that when a psychologist counsels a client, he must remain non-judgmental about anything the client says or does. But when Rogers said that the psychologist must remain non-judgmental, what was he doing? He's <laughs> making a judgment. The truth is, Roman numeral number one on the back of your bulletin, we constantly evaluate slash judge ourselves and others. We do it all the time. We, we render judgments about what's right and what's wrong, about what's true, what's false, what's too expensive, what's within our means, you know, what makes a good sermon, what, what makes a bad sermon. Now, does that mean we're being judgmental? Well, I look judgmental up, and judgmental is, is really understood in this way. It's when you are being overly critical of someone. You're, you're, you're being, I guess what most of us would call derogatory in your description. You're, you're disparaging of someone else. That's judgmental. Point A, under Roman numeral one, Jesus issues a warning about our judgments. Sometimes our judgments get us into trouble with God. That happens. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged as well. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, was Jesus prohibiting making judgments? Well, I will say he was prohibiting hypocritical judgments. He goes on and he says this, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and you ignore the log in your own? He said, first, remove the log from your eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, how many times have you and I 
criticized other people for the very same things that we continue to do ourselves. You see, when we judge in that way, we bring the condemnation of God down upon ourselves. It just boils down to this. We need to repent of our own sins before we go to someone else and tell them they need to repent of theirs. That's how it works. So making judgments is kind of a risky thing to do. And it's something to be done carefully. But point B, still judgments are necessary. They're absolutely necessary. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your brother offends you, if he sins against you, go privately and show him his fault. Okay, so you're judging this to be an offense. You've been hurt by what someone else did or said or neglected to do. So you're making a judgment and you go to them and you inform them of that. That's making a judgment. Jesus said, do not cast your pearls before swine. He said, beware of false teachers. That is to say, what's true is true. What is false is false. And Jesus expects us to make judgments like that every day. Roman numeral two, God judges us. And if there's one thing that non-Christians misunderstand and even fear more than anything else about God, and even some Christians as well, it's this, God as judge. When I think what's usually going on is uh, their fear actually says less about God and who he is, and it says more about their own accusing conscience. But that's another issue. The most important judgment God has ever rendered in history, he made 2,000 years ago at the cross. And that's point A. God at the cross declared all sinners righteous. You know, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. God stopped counting your sins against you 2,000 years ago. Now that doesn't mean you believe it, that doesn't mean you've received that forgiveness personally, but he did it, and he did it for you because he did it for the world. That includes you. St. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 3. He said, we maintain that a man is justified or declared righteous. A man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So point A, God declared all sinners righteous. 2,000 years ago he did it, without your permission, without your asking. Without, in fact, without your objecting, he did it. Why? Because that's who he is. He is love. He is mercy. That doesn't mean we want to hear it. That doesn't mean we accept it. It means he did it, and he did it for all. That includes you. And point B, this is the heart of Christianity. It's the heart of Christianity that God justifies not the righteous or those who think they are, he justifies sinners. You know, I, I heard it said this way, Jesus died for sinners and you qualify. That's the gospel. 
in a nutshell. That's the heart of Christianity. Uh, St. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, this saying is worthy of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. See, that's, that's the judgment that God has spoken over all humanity. Again, that doesn't mean all believe it. That doesn't mean all are going to be in heaven. Sadly, that's not the case. But we know how God feels about them, regardless of how they may feel about God. And point C, God's judgment of us on the last day, on the judgment day, simply reflects our judgment of his son. It, it simply reflects, really, our judgment of him who sent his son for our salvation. And, and all of this means, in the final analysis, Roman numeral three, we judge God. Just as we cast a critical eye toward others, we cast a critical eye toward God and the God-man, Jesus Christ. Point A, Job. The book of Job in the Old Testament is all about judging God. Job can't understand why God would cause the righteous to suffer. He's relatively righteous. He's, he's not done anything. The book makes very clear. He's not done anything in particular to bring all of this suffering down upon himself. But Job finally comes to the realization that God will cause the righteous to suffer. Ultimately, Jesus, but that includes you and me, he will cause the righteous to suffer for his glory. For his glory. That means there's a higher purpose in our suffering than we commonly realize. Point B, John the Baptist in our gospel lesson for today, uh, he's forming his own judgments about Jesus. He's not so sure if this is the right guy. And it's not just John. I think all of us have trouble with Jesus because clearly he's not the kind of savior you or I would create. You know, we, we really want political deliverance. We want to elect somebody who's going to put a chicken in every pot, who's going to uh, uh, allay all of our fears and do what we want done. That's really what we want. That's our old nature talking. But that's really the point. God sends exactly what we need. As, as I said several weeks ago, can, can you remember the political debate going on during the administration of Warren Harding, or Chester Arthur, or Grover Cleveland, or even Harry Truman? Can you remember any of that? It doesn't matter today. What matters today is what God has done for all the world in Jesus Christ. That's what matters today. That's what will matter for all eternity, and that's what we'll praise God for now and then. What matters is relationships and how God restores relationships with himself through the blood of Jesus Christ. Point C, the Pharisees and the lawyers reject God's means of salvation, the baptism of John, and, and the ministry of John, who points us to Jesus, the coming Savior, they reject that. The Pharisees reject him, but Christians today neglect him. When we absent ourselves from worship, from the Lord's table, we got better things to do, or whatever it may be, 
And let me ask you this, which is worse, to reject him or to neglect him? I mean, I really don't know, but to me it seems as if neglect is just a more subtle form of reject. That's just me. Point D, the people and tax collectors, by contrast, the people and tax collectors in our gospel reading, they declare God righteous. You see, in the Christian faith, we rely on God declaring us righteous, but when we believe that, we're actually declaring Him to be right in what He's done. He's right in sending His Son to die for our sins. That's what we need. That's the correct thing. We justify Him on that cross when we acknowledge our guilt and our need of salvation. C.S. Lewis, well, point, point E, I don't want to skip that. That's really just what I've said. When we acknowledge our guilt, we justify Christ's death, and we declare him to be right or righteous in what he's done for humanity by dying and rising again. When we confess our guilt, we justify him being up there. I think it was Kurt Vonnegut, the, uh, the author, originally from Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, back in the early 70s, I think, he went to a transcendental meditation seminar by the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And nothing against the Maharishi, but uh, Kurt Vonnegut, who I, I wouldn't, I don't know if he was a believer or not, but he, he left that lecture on transcendental meditation. He said, I came out of there with a greater appreciation for that man hanging on the cross than I ever had before. C.S. Lewis, of uh, the Oxford uh, Don, uh, said this. He said, ancient man viewed God as the judge and himself as the accused. Modern man flips that so that God is the accused these days and man is the judge. You know, why does he allow evil and suffering? Why, why would a good God allow evil and suffering? Why would a good God put people to death? Why would a good God send people to hell? Those are good questions. I think they ought to be asked. We ought to struggle and wrestle with God on those issues. I think people of faith do, we all do. And here's my point, God invites it. God invites our judgment of him. And God asks each one of us this question. Do you believe that I'm justified in sending my son for salvation of humanity, or do you believe that I'm wasting my time in doing so? That's really the question. Or you could ask the question in this fashion. What do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? God invites your judgment of him, and he will not allow you to avoid the question to refuse to answer is itself an answer. Was God right in sending his son to save humanity? Is that what we really need? To answer affirmatively, and that judgment is yours to make, and to answer it affirmatively reveals where you are from. To say, yes, I need him on the cross, is to say that you've been born from above. Your citizenship is in heaven. 
To answer that question negatively also reveals where you are from. To say, no, we don't need him up there at all. That is to say that you're not born from above. It is to say that you are of the earth. And so how do you judge God? Is he right in sending Jesus? Or do you think he's just wasting his time? What say you? In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.